everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety treatment, and getting your life back. I am your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician uh, specializing in OCD and anxiety. So I hope everybody out there is doing well, is trying to stay safe, is staying inside, is working on flattening the curve, as they say. These are terms that we did not use um, but four weeks ago, three weeks ago, we didn't use these terms. You and I never talked about social distancing. Have you ever heard the term social distancing? No. But now these are terms that we are never going to forget. This uh, this is a really weird time, and everybody, it's a historic time. This is going to be one of those times for all of us who are living through this, going through this. We will talk about this in 30, 40 years. They will likely study this in 50 or 60 years. Um, and people, are, our grandkids will want to wonder what it was like to go through the pandemic of 2020. I'll certainly say it's also been... <clears throat> weird for me. Um, it, as, as a therapist, I'm noticing and I'm, I'm talking with uh, some of my colleagues about how our perspective is changing, how our practices are changing, how our exposures are changing. Since our world is in a, a bit of a topsy-turvy right now and everything is in question, all of us, every single one of us are dealing with uncertainty. Um, everyone here, everyone that you've ever talked to right now is dealing with, well, what's going to happen next? How do we deal with this? What's the new bit of information that's going to come out? Um, as, as a little bit of a disclaimer, everybody, I've been uh, sitting here uh, thinking about how I was going to structure the show and how I was going to start it and how I was going to um, outline everything. I wrote some things down and man, I've just been having a tough time trying to get my head together. So if everything today feels disjointed, uh, I apologize, but uh, I'm going to do my best because um, this is kind of what we can do, right? We can kind of just do our best. But back to the idea of uncertainty. It's interesting that I've noticed, and I've been telling this to a lot of people, is that my I've noticed that my clients have been dealing with this pandemic better than some of the average people that I know, the people who, quote, don't have anxiety. People are losing their minds out there. And yet those who, quote, have a, don't quote, those who have an anxiety disorder, OCD, anxiety, hypochondria, or otherwise, are dealing with this better. You want to know why? It's because what have we been doing all of this time other than talking about uncertainty and doubt and how to deal with it and how to face it, how to recognize that, man, we don't have all the answers to things. Sometimes with some things, we're never going to get the answers. And why do things happen? How do they work? Is it going to happen to me? Is it going to happen to someone I love? We don't know. How much are we supposed to wash? I don't know. How much are we not supposed to wash? How much, what are we supposed to touch? How much should we clean? How much toilet paper should we get? I don't know. A lot of my clients are dealing with this really, really well, and I am, I am incredibly proud of how much work they're putting in and how much they're practicing acceptance. We don't know, but you know what? What are some things that I can control, and what are some things that I can do right now? Having that mindset has been incredibly beneficial to dealing with the, the what-ifs and the future-based stuff of how is this going to pan out and what's my 401k going to look like or what is my school going to look like? Am I ever going to go back? 
Is my college even going to be open if I'm a high school senior and I got accepted into wherever? Is that college even going to be there? Is it going to be open in the fall? I don't know. Is my business still going to be there? I don't know. It's scary. And if you're scared, that's okay. We're all in this same boat together. Something to notice as well in all of this is that there can be a time when the the feelings of urgency drops off. Our attention to detail, our concern for others isn't quite as intense and acute as it is right now. Now, if we were talking about this from an exposure perspective, wouldn't that be the goal? To not feel as stressed as we are. But sometimes it can impact the way that we think about ourselves and we apply this judgment to ourselves. Because let's be honest, in society, we've all agreed that we're supposed to be altruistic. We're supposed to care for each other's feelings and needs and desires. Right? That's what good people do. And I'm a good person, so I should care about your needs and desires, right? Right. But in a time of crisis, well, I'm also going to think about myself. Fight or flight, right? It's fight or flight for me, not for that person. If a bear is coming to me and I get fight or flight, I don't care about the bear's feelings. I want to punch the bear in his stupid bear face, or I want to run so he doesn't eat my stupid face. Either one, I'm thinking about me and my survival. And in times of, in times of, uh, of tragedy, like we're in right now, in times of panic, we think about our safety, the safety of our loved ones, the safety of our business, and we naturally think about ourselves. So where's the balance? What do we do with that? How do we go back and forth between caring for ourselves and caring for other people? If you're in this place, accept that you care about both. This, like everything else, is not black and white. Deep down, likely speaking, we all do care about other people and we care about ourselves. It's natural. You're not selfish for thinking about you or your feelings or trying to do what you can to take care of yourself. The classic example, if you were in an airplane, if you had, if, if, there, were tur- if there was turbulence and craziness happened and the, the, the mask fell out of the ceiling, what do they say? Put the mask on yourself first before you put it on your child. We need to take care of ourselves right now. So it can be helpful to think about what are the things that you are going to do to stay psychologically and emotionally healthy during this time. So oddly enough, that is not what the this beginning sermon is all about today, but is instead to recognize that during this time, when we care, we, th- we, we care intensely, is that that feeling might start to drop off. And for some, you might start to get to a numb place. We might start feeling dissociated from ourselves, from the people around us, from the work that we're doing. And we just feel nothing. And sometimes we, it can go even further and to feel disconnected, to feel out of body even, or to even get to a place where we start to feel like none of this is real or none of this is a fact 
or that you know we start they say they start to see themselves outside of themselves what we're talking about here is depersonalization and derealization now i'll do a further longer episode on this later down the line but what this is is this this response to trauma and that can be now depersonalization and derealization can be triggered by a lot of different things very commonly, it's triggered by trauma. It can also be triggered by drug abuse. It can also be a symptom and a sign and a and a result of anxiety. Now, what a lot of this is, is our, our brains and our bodies need to take care of ourselves. You and I don't like to feel stress and pressure all the time. And in fact, it's unhealthy for us to do that. So our, our, our body starts to respond to us. It, first, when we have a panic or we, excuse me, when we face a danger, our brain is sympathetic to our danger. So our sympathetic nervous system kicks in and it, that's the fight or flight system. So it preps us to fighting the, the enemy or running away. Now, after a long period of time, our parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and starts to undo and roll back the uh, physiological changes that had just happened with the, the sympathetic nervous system. Now, when we ride up and rev up really high for a long period of time, that can be overwhelming to us. So to protect us both psychologically and emotionally, a response, a natural response that our brain and body does is depersonalization and sometimes derealization. It can cause this question, do I care? Do I still care for other people? Am I a bad person? Am I heartless? What does it say about me that I feel this way? Now, first off, depersonalization and derealization can be its own obsession and terror uh, in and of itself. And again, we'll talk about that in another episode. But what I'd encourage folks to do during this time is if you start to get to that place where your panic and your focus and care for yourself or for other people starts to, starts to come down, resist the urge to judge yourself for it. You're not bad because you don't feel something. You don't feel that incredible empathy and sympathy for people around us. You don't feel so strongly for other people. That's okay. We're not bad people. And you're also not a sociopath just because you don't feel that. There are some of those people out there I'm talking to. There are some people out there who will have that thought that they don't feel that empathy for their, their loved ones or their neighbors or the people they see on the news, so they must be a sociopath. You're not. You're likely not. You're not. We can also resist the urge to judge ourselves for expressing interest in this, for watching the news. This is, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is a historic time or an historic time. It's a historic time either way. People are going to be interested in this. And also, we need to get information, right? We need to be watching the news and learning about what's going to happen next and what the recommendations are for us to know what we ought to be doing, we as a society and we as a world ought to be doing during this time. However, some folks will then judge themselves for being too interested. Am I too interested? Do I want this to happen? Do I not care for other people? Am I hoping more people are going to get sick? You can see how the anxious brain can take us into some terrifying directions. Instead, practice the mindfulness that you and I have been talking about all this time, noticing that our brain is thinking these things. 
And also, if you don't make it to the very, very end of the show, I've ended pretty much every single episode with this phrase. Take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Now would be a time to put that into practice. Let's not take our brain too seriously right now. When our brain is giving us thoughts and our anxiety is telling us that we are one thing or we are not another thing, we need to take a step back from it and recognize that for right now, those are just thoughts and feelings. They're not who it is that we are, especially because a lot of times those thoughts don't really reflect who it is that we are. And from an act perspective, notice the language in there. I'm a bad person. I am a bad person. First off, the language is wrong. We're not a bad person. That would imply that we've never done anything good or that there isn't anything good within us. That's just complete. That's a complete lie. So when that thought shows up, I'm a bad person, we can say, well, that's BS. But thank you for that thought brain. Instead, there are times that I'm good. There are times that I do bad. There are times that I'm not the sort of guy or gal that I want to be, and that's all right. Acknowledge that thought and let it go. It's not important to us right now. What is important, rather, is to shift back to what is it that you would like to do and how is it that you would ultimately like to act in the course of all this? How can you care for yourself, care for your loved ones, go to work if you need to, stay at home if you need to, care for your children if you need to, care for your adult parents or grandparents if you need to? We shift into focusing on that which we do have control. And what you can control are doing things that are important to you, not getting sucked into thoughts and questions that may or may not be true and historically speaking have not been true. So during this time is a way to help protect our emotions and protect our psychological health, resist the urge to buy into and build up and reinforce that self-judgment. Instead, you and I are going to keep our head down and we're going to follow directions in terms of keeping clean, washing our hands, sanitizing what we need to sanitize, staying home if we need to, resisting the urge to go above and beyond with our cleaning and sanitizing, uh, as uh, some of my contamination friends are wont to do. But instead, to follow those guidelines, and we're all going to beat this. And during this time, shift our focus into things that we value and we care about and are important to us and are in our best interest. So we're going to get on to a question now, but thank you all for uh, this little uh, mini sermon and um, let's get on with the show. The reason I chose this question is because it illustrates a common concern that people have when they do ERP treatment. One of those main concerns is what happens if I do treatment, engage my fear, and do what my therapist sometimes asks, which is to agree with my thoughts. Now, this subject of this question is going to be about HOCD. So, while I didn't put on a, uh, a an adult or explicit tag on this question, please know that if you are or you or someone listening to this might be triggered or activated or is not uh, 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 adult enough to listen to this question, perhaps now is a good time to pause it. However, if you listen to the question in terms of the themes in it and how we can go about approaching our feared thoughts uh, from a broader perspective, it may be helpful. So this is my little warning just before we jump into it. Now, it's not going to be as um, 
sexually explicit as uh, perhaps this tag or this warning uh, I'm giving now would make you think, but I'm going to put that out there in advance. All right. So this question comes from Larry. Larry says, I found that my mind can feel amused or enjoys certain thoughts that I never even considered as things or behaviors I'd like to do and that are totally in disagreement with how I viewed myself and my historical sexual interests and behaviors. It's painful and frustrating, but when I do ERP, if I get aroused or, quote, enjoy a thought, he put aroused in quotes too, my mind starts telling me that it's denial or faking, quote faking, if I'm just agreeing with the thought and feelings instead of its reality. That is, if for exposure I'm thinking in the most realistic way about wanting to do something that triggers me, and on top of that I get to enjoying the thought, shouldn't I just agree with its reality too? Yes, I actually want it. Yes, this is my sexuality and my sexual interests. My therapist keeps telling me to just agree with what's happening, the thoughts, and sensations. Agreeing with that is not agreeing with the reality of it, but it's so hard for me to grasp. I'll take it to an extreme just for the sake of example. Let's say that I'm actually gay, but I also have OCD about being gay. So unfortunately, and as unlikely as it may sound, I'm discovering I'm gay through therapy. In this case, when I do ERP, would you recommend that I only agree with the thoughts and sensations without necessarily agreeing with its reality, and only when I'm done with ERP and when I'm more tolerant of the anxiety, will I be able to decide, okay, this is me, and this is what I want? Basically, what I'm asking is this. During ERP, is there any case in which you agree with the reality of the thoughts, feelings, and sensations? It's painful to the point where I can't even think I would like to eat a hamburger or go out and play basketball because my mind automatically checks with the feelings of wanting to do whatever it is to compare it to my unwanted thoughts when I'm doing ERP of wanting to do a certain sexual scenario. And if I somehow discover that they feel the same, I'll get triggered and stop doing ERP. Not to mention how illogical it is that the wanting to eat and wanting sex can feel, quote, feel the same and mean the same. But my mind just doesn't care. He adds at the end of the email, by the way, discovering I desire and have intentions to act on my thoughts would be my core fear. And this is the thing that's then driving all of his compulsions. So that is Larry's kind of longer question, longer discussion. So uh, let's just jump into it. Now, I chose this question because I think a lot of folks have these concerns when they start to do ERP. Inevitably, uh, a lot of times in treatment, we'll get to this point where we say, all right, whenever that thought comes up, just agree with it. Just go, all right, brain, Sure. Or, yes, that is my thought. Yes, that is my intention. As a way of devaluing the importance of that thought, sucking out its meaning, and leaning into it at the same time. Obviously, when we say that we agree with our feared thought, it's going to increase our anxiety because we are saying, yes, that thought of harm, violence, um, something sexually taboo, or really just Anything that goes against our values, desires, the egodystonic thoughts, you get the idea. It's going to trigger our anxiety and make us feel uncomfortable, which is the point. Feel that anxiety, 
and then tolerate that wave of it as it goes up and comes down. But Larry's question here has a lot of different concerns and considerations within it that, that I'd like to point out. Two of the main uh, issues that I'm seeing here are, are one, getting too involved with the content of the thought. Um, ACT would call this fusion, so we're getting fused with the thought. Um, and also thought-action fusion, and a little bit of magical thinking as well. Um, to tackle the, the second one first, so the thought-action fusion. Thought-action fusion, as we've talked about before, is this concept that, that we feel a thought. There are a couple different ways to view it, but one can be that having the thought having a thought is the same uh, is the same as doing the action so it can be you know having a violent thought is just as bad as as doing a violent thing and then we feel the guilt and the shame and the terror as if we've actually done it we also can hold ourselves responsible for doing that violent thing just by having that act Thought action fusion can also be presented as having a thought will increase the likelihood of doing something or increasing the likelihood that something will happen. So what that can sometimes mean is if I think a sexual thought enough, well, then I'm going to take that on. If I think a violent thought enough, it increases the likelihood that I'm going to act on it or do this violent thing. Because you would say the argument for it that clients will give me is, well, violent people have violent thoughts before they do it. So if I'm thinking violent thoughts, doesn't that make me more likely to do it than if I don't think about it? Which, sure, I get. But... The argument against that is, of course, Stephen King. Stephen King, is his full-time job is to think about violent thoughts all day long. Think about the writers of Saw or of any other you know, horrific violent movie out there. Their full-time job is to think about violent things. If it was true that thinking violent thoughts led to violent actions, the police would know about this. They'd round up all those people after having completed the movie and just kind of sequester them, put them in quarantine, as it were. We call that jail, I suppose, for violent people. But we'd keep them away. But that's not the case, right? So thought action fusion falls through very quickly when we think about it that way. But then again, our anxiety never really cared about our logic, right? So the other part, as I mentioned, is getting too involved with the content of his thought. So Larry, I think the problem, one of the problems here is you're still trying to disprove or prove a thought. You're trying to make sure that the bad thing will never happen. And I think to, to go with your example, if the main fear is that you are in fact gay, well, you're trying to prove or disprove that you are or are not gay. Well, that's part of the problem. Larry, in regards to being fused with these thoughts and these feelings, you've said, when I do these exposures, I, I feel these sensations and I, I have these thoughts. You even said that I start, I start to get aroused or I, I start to enjoy the thought. And that's where a little bit of that thought action fusion comes in. Well, if I felt a feeling, it might mean that it's true. Or if I felt this arousal, it might result in something down the line that I don't want to happen. 
The problem with this thinking is the assumption that every thought and every feeling means something, reflects something about who it is that we truly are and what it is that we truly want. For example, it, it, the fear might be, well, if I felt aroused while thinking about this thought, that must mean that that feeling turns me on. Or think about it in a different context for someone else. If I felt contaminated after I touched something, that must mean that I am in fact contaminated and am, and am likely to get sick or make somebody else sick. Or if I looked at this person and I felt angry, then, or if I looked at this person and had a violent thought, then I might, and had a violent thought and actually maybe even felt angry too at the same time, then it might mean that I'm going to likely do that thing. Now, again, none of those necessarily follow because we as people have a whole collection of thoughts and feelings and sensations and urges. Just because we're mad, it doesn't mean that we end up doing something violent, or it doesn't mean that we end up acting out. And I think, Larry, you can probably think about times that this has happened to you, where you have felt something and, and actually not done it. And furthermore, you might have felt something in the past, and it, it, later down the line, it has not come to fruition. Your therapist's guidance here to, to agree with all of these thoughts is ultimately to get you to stop trying to prove or disprove the thought in other words, stop trying to do what this email is about. But instead, to take that feeling and to take that thought as it is and to move forward with what it is that you actually want to do, what you find to be most valuable or what you find to be most advantageous and, and typical for you. You kind of, uh, you, in, in the last bit, you alluded to the tendency for your brain to compare any thought that you would have to things that you would do within ERP. And kind of check to see, all right, do I feel the same way or do I have similar sensations or thoughts or feelings during those times? And it's kind of like that idea that, well, if I feel something that's similar to a time when I've genuinely wanted to feel something, well, then they, therefore they must be the same. If I feel the same thing when I say I want to go eat a hamburger, if that's something that you typically would do, then it must mean the same thing about that this other thought. Well, it's not necessarily the case. Feelings are deceptive. Furthermore, we do not need to pay as much attention to the feelings that, that we have. If, I were, if you were in my office and I were to ask you the question, uh, are you gay? Yes or no? Or the, uh, the, the classic gun to the head example. I'm going to put a gun to the head of one of your loved ones and you have to answer yes or no in two seconds or, or I'll shoot. Yes or no, are you gay? Based on the content of your question, I'm going to assume that you'd probably say no. Okay, great. So when that thought comes in that, that says, well, I, I felt something similar in, in, in my ERP exercise where I agreed with the thought that I was gay as when I would think I, I want to have a hamburger. So therefore, I want to have a hamburger. Therefore, I want to have sex with a, a, another man. In this case, we are overvaluing the importance of feelings, overvaluing the importance of unwanted intrusive thoughts, and saying any thought or feeling that I get is important, and all of them I need to follow through on and do something about. 
back to that core fear that you'll discover that you actually desire and have intentions to act on the thoughts if you were to kind of keep thinking about it or just to discover that you were to actually have those thoughts. I, I, I get then the worry that, uh, as you said, if I keep thinking about the most realistic way possible about wanting to do something that triggers me, and on top of that, that you might actually enjoy the thought or enjoy the feeling, then shouldn't you just agree with the reality too? That yes, I actually want it, and yes, this is actually my sexuality and sexual interests. I can imagine that would be scary, right? But that's part of the that's part of the uncertainty of it. That's part of accepting the fear of it. You're saying, "Oh no, if I actually agree with it, boy, then it's going to be true, and boy, then that's then everything in my feared thought is going to be a reality." Uh, that's not necessarily true. That's not how that works, really. It's that in facing that uncertainty, we're going to see what truth shakes out. That's the scary part of all of this. Um, I would have you consider what's your feared expectation? What's going to happen if you agree with it? Is that fear going to happen? You've already said, and I'm also going to assume that your feared expectation is, Kevin, if I keep having this thought, if I keep feeling this, and if I keep thinking in just this way, I'm going to fully discover this is who it is that I am. Great. Let's go find out. Let's go find out. He said, if I keep thinking about this in the most realistic way, then this is what's going to happen. Great, let's go do that. Think about it in the most realistic way. Agree with it. Say, yeah, that is what I actually want. Yeah, that is my sexuality and my sexual interests. And we'll see what comes of it. We'll see if, if down the road you actually are gay. But the question is also within all these exposures is, what, what do you think is going to happen and when are we going to know it? How long do you have to think these thoughts before you, they, you discover that they're real? Do you have to think about them for an hour? Do you have to think about them for a day? Do you have to think about them for 10 days straight before they, they just snap and they become true? Which one? And then we're going to do that. And we're going to do just a little bit over that. So we ensure that it's actually going to happen. And we'll see what happens. Now, we're also illustrating in this, and I think this is the most important thing, that you can handle that uncertainty, that you can handle that discomfort. Now, of course, we're drawing a little bit of a separation here between mindful acceptance and exposure and response prevention. Remember, the goal of exposure and response prevention, or the task within it, is to lean into the fear while resisting any compulsive behaviors that would otherwise undo or help you to avoid feeling bad. Right? That's not necessarily the point of act or mindfulness. The point of mindfulness is to accept whatever anxiety happens to be there, however it is in the moment. Now, you would still also not do exposures in that. But the goal of that is to say, this is going to feel uncomfortable. These thoughts feel uncomfortable, but that's okay. I'm going to do that. I'm going to give myself permission to have this thought, say this saying, and and feel this feeling. And what that does, by giving yourself permission, you're developing what ACT calls psychological flexibility. It means being fluid with what thoughts can and cannot come into your mind. You're basically opening the floodgates and saying, whatever it can come in it is allowed to. 
I'm going to roll with it. I'm flexible, meaning I don't have a, a firm, rigid mindset of, of what can and cannot come in. When we do that and set these arbitrary rules for ourselves, your brain doesn't really care. And it's then likely going to give you the thing that you don't want to think about. That's the way our brain sort of works. It doesn't like borders and barriers and limits. So when we have those barriers up, it knocks them down and we're not ready for it. When we're not flexible psychologically or emotionally, and inevitably one of those thoughts come in, we go, oh no, it's there. And it, 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 it hurts. It breaks us. It, 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 it knocks us down a little bit. But instead, developing that, that psychological flexibility, we can then say any thought can come in. And it's also then a question of where we're going to place the power of our thoughts and feelings. Because if we've agreed that we are not our thoughts and feelings, but instead we are separate from them, and you and I get to decide what we're going to do in response to them, because any thought that comes in is an option. So who is going to have the power in this, the thought or you? A thought might come in and say, you should go punch that person in the face. Now, it's a thought. Do we give that thought the power to dictate our actions and dictate what we do? Or are we going to have that, you and me, the internal you and me that has values and desires and goals and, and dreams? <clears throat> and are we going to act in response to that? Now, with psychological flexibility, our goal then isn't to try to suppress or destroy a thought, but is instead to shift the power from our thoughts and feelings back to ourself and toward the things that you and I actually care about, the things that are most advantageous and most in our best interest, whatever those things are. But in the process of that, we're going to get a whole bunch of weird, stinking thoughts. So, Larry, I agree with your therapist here. Agree with the thoughts. Whenever they come in, go, yep, that's there. Or we can, and from an act perspective, from just a purely acceptance perspective, we can say, yep, that thought is there. Yep, that feeling is there. And this is a subtle difference, so he hear me out. The act perspective would be to say, yes, I'm noticing I'm having the thought that this is my sexuality. Yes, I'm noticing I'm having the feeling of, of arousal. And, and by the way, break that down and what that actually is. Are you having full sexual arousal? Or are you getting feelings in your stomach and you're noticing tingling in your groin? It, it may be arousal. It may just be sensations that we sometimes get. Because by the way, with OCD and anxiety for that matter, we get a lot of unwanted intrusive thoughts. You've heard me talk about thinking about your left foot. Go for it. Think about your left foot. You'll get a bunch of sensations there too. If you're thinking about your groin only, you're going to think about a bunch of weird stuff there too. You're going to notice a bunch of weird stuff there too. So from an act perspective, we can notice those thoughts and feelings and roll with it. And again, shifting that power from the thought to ourself and moving forward with what it is that you and I want without getting caught up with the content of it by saying that thought is true or that thought must be real because I had it and thought it and felt it. But instead, it's just one of those thoughts and you're going to go forward with what it is that you want to do. In other words, there's so what that you've felt the same thing when you think about a hamburger as when you think about sex. So what? It's weird. It's different. Who cares? We're going to think a lot of weird things. So, do you want to go and have a relationship with a man or go have a hamburger? Historically speaking, which one has been more true for you? I'm going to assume the hamburger thing, so go do that.
Okay? Because that's putting the power back into yourself and what has historically been true for you, not the power in the hands of your anxiety. Now, for exposure purposes, for this, it's to lean into it and just purely agree with it. Now, these can be, these can be overlapping and talk to your therapist perhaps about the difference between these two things. But these are distinct, explicit times where you say, yes, I'm going to agree with it. And you can do momentary exposures where these aren't things where you set time aside to go do it, to go do the exposure. But momentary exposures would be when that thought comes in, we go, yep, it's true. And it's going to be uncomfortable, right? It's a little bit of acceptance with it too, of course. But um, we just say, yes, that thought's true. Great. Oh, I'm a violent person? Yep, I sure am. Oh, I'm gay now? All right, sure. For those of us right now, yep, I've got COVID-19. Yep, I'm going to die. That all might be really uncomfortable for a lot of us. But... We take that thought, we hold on to that feeling, but you know what? Here is the crux of what I'm trying to tell you. Truth is going to shake out. If you do this over time, truth is going to shake out. I could tell myself I have COVID-19 all day long. And over time, I'll discover that I do, that I, I do have it or I don't have it. I could tell myself I'm a violent, horrible murderer. And over time, I will discover whether or not I actually am or want to. But you're going to say, but Kevin, the feeling, and I'm going to say, so what? We're overvaluing the sense of feelings that we have. And again, let's say that feeling's right. Let's talk crazy. Truth is going to shake out. Do you want to kill someone? No? Then don't. Right? But Kevin, what if I'm gay? Do you want to be in a relationship with a same-sex person? No? Then don't. I know it sounds simplistic, but it's to lean into that fear. And you and I are going to see how, how truth shakes out through all of this. But in the course of doing that, we have to lean into that fear and accept what's there and to tolerate it and to get through it. This is the most important thing, to realize that you can handle that sense of uncertainty and fear. Because your uncertainty here has been, well, what if I discover that I actually desire and have intentions to act on it? Well, discover that I desire to have intentions uh, to act on it is a future-based thing. That's you will discover it. Great. It may, it may be in five minutes. It may be in five years. It may be five minutes from never. But we're going to wait. We're going to agree with that thought. And we're going to go forward and say, yep, that thought is there. But what else can I do today? Instead of worrying about or trying to fix or solve the truthfulness or falseness of this thought or this feeling, but to accept and be flexible with the sometimes weird experiences that you and I will get, the incongruous, uh, out of sync, atypical experiences that you and I have. So, Larry, I hope this answers your question. And for other listeners out there, I hope this helped give you a, a, a little bit of insight into how you can approach some of your fears, seeing it within the context of someone else's theme. So, Larry, again, thank you so much for your question. All right, everybody, you made it through that episode of the FearCast. We made it through. Again, everybody, I hope you are all staying safe, and I hope you are all doing the best that you can to keep your head above water. I know that I am uh, slightly going crazy uh, uh, being locked down uh, since um, uh, of my lung issues. I'm basically going from the office and home and back. 
that's it. So I've only done this for about a week and a half. Um, I think I'm going to lose it. So um, podcast might get a little weird, but um, we're going to do our best. Um, everybody, if you have a question for the podcast, if you would like to add any feedback to uh, this question, or um, it would like to actually add how you are handling uh, the, the pandemic, let me know. Um, I, I'd love to add that to a future episode um, and uh, maybe get some ideas on how we can all manage this together and what suggestions you have. Um, but again, if you have a question for the podcast, go to fearcastpodcast.com. You can ask the question there. Uh, you can also go ahead and find me over at Instagram and Facebook. Facebook. I am Fearcast Podcast over there. Um, all right, everybody. Please remember the Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, click the find help link, and uh, there'll be some uh, some helpful, helpful bits of information there. All right, everybody. Until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.